0: Is a ministry that this church does. We have three mentor fathers that are active. We have a mentor father who's approved, waiting for uh, a fatherless boy. So if you know of a single mom with boys be, with a boy between the ages of seven and seventeen, I would love for you to come and talk to myself or to Russ Manning, um, so that we can help. We we want you to understand, and it's going to tie into our sermon today too. But spending one day with a fatherless boy and taking him fishing or taking him to lunch is kind of worthless it really is it may make you feel good but what a fatherless boy needs is to know that a man loves him enough to include him in life to make a commitment to him to be intentional about that commitment and show up on a regular basis that's what changes those boys lives i would contend that that's what changes our lives as human beings we need to invest in each other's lives. and So normally we would show this video on Father's Day, but I wanted to share it, show it today because it ties in so well with the sermon today. So if you would turn with me, if you brought your Bible or if you have the phone app or if you don't, I didn't know how to make it appear on the screen because I'm apparently technologically inept. So, woo! So you can turn to Luke, Luke chapter 10. Verse 25, this story may or may not be familiar to you, so what I was gonna do is I'll read through the story and then I'll explain all the really important things that are going on, hopefully. Again, my my head's a little fuzzy still from being sick. And and then we'll talk about the implications for us as Christians, as people who know Christ, and the implication for for us if we say we know Christ but don't actually do anything, which then I would contend you don't know Christ. So I'm I'm a really fuzzy warm person anyway, and having a cold has made me even fuzzier and warmer. Woo. All right. So I'm gonna swap glasses so I can actually read. I will read through it. So I'm reading out of the ESV, so yours may be a little different, but it's all pretty basic story. And behold a lawyer. So Jesus, let me set the stage for you. Jesus is is sitting and he's teaching his disciples, and he's doing all these miracles and they're talking about salvation and he says to, to everyone in hearing, You're really blessed because the prophets of old and the, and the patriarchs waited for the coming of this day that they might hear what I'm telling you. It's a really amazing thing. So, right after he kind of looks at his, his apostles, the, the, the smaller group, and he says, he says to them, um, For, you know, this is a really amazing thing that's happening. I want you to, to press that. Just then a lawyer stands up, says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly, Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, I love this, not a straight answer, but a good answer. Right? Who is my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him, "'and departed, leaving him half dead. "'Now by chance a priest was going down the road, "'and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. "'So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place "'and saw him, passed by on the other side. "'But a Samaritan, as he was journeyed, "'he came to where he was, "'and when he saw him, he had compassion. "'He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and, on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the man who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. I don't know about you. It depends, I guess, on where you're at age-wise, but this always makes me think of the McGee and me story. So if that's that's funny to you, then I feel good, and if not, then you should go home and YouTube it. It'll be funnier on the back end. So the the real question of, of this is we have to understand a few things about the story before we start. I always like to share the story with you before we start, but the first thing that you have to understand is in Israel, the Israelites themselves were a chosen people. It's a pretty amazing thing. Out of everybody in the world, God chose Abraham, right? And as you read through the Bible, you see that God, God is selectively choosing. He chooses Abraham, and then he chooses Isaac, and he chooses Jacob, and turns Jacob's name into Israel and gives Israel 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes. And when Moses takes them out of Egypt, he leads them out and he says, God's plan for you is that you will be a holy priesthood as a people, as all of Israel. Your job as a select chosen people is to represent God on earth. So when you read through the Old Testament, and you, there's some weird stuff that goes on. Like Moses says, you're only allowed to wear garments of one, one type, so you can't have like flax and linen mixed. You either have flax or linen. And you go, that's weird. But the design of it was that even by looking at an Israelite, you would know they were an Israelite. Right? From the things they wore to the food they would and would not eat, the places they would in would not go, the days they would in would not work. The Israelites were supposed to be looked at by the rest of the world and say, those people are different than we are. By looking at them, by seeing their actions, those people are different than we are. Then in addition to that, God said to Israel, as a country, it is your opportunity, I'm gonna place you in the world. They were in the, do you realize Israel it, at the time was the center point of trade for the world. They were the central place. All trade came in through Israel. That's why everybody wanted it. It's different today because we trade different, but does it make sense? So he puts them in the central place of the world so that all trade will go through them so that they can bless the rest of the world by telling them about God. I don't know how well you've read your Bibles, but they failed kind of badly, a lot. So take heart, because believe me, we're gonna get to that point where you're gonna remember that I told you to take heart. So take heart. The Israelites failed miserably a lot. So one of the things that Moses did too is he gave them the 10 commandments, he gave them the law. So when Jesus starts, when the story starts in Luke, it starts with a guy who's a lawyer. So you gotta understand the context, he's Jewish. So when it says he's a lawyer, it means he knows the Mosaic law better than anybody. So if you have a dispute, you could go to him, and he would help you figure out who you could sue, who you couldn't sue, what you could do to resolve it, all the things. What's the right? So when he's asking Jesus about salvation, it's a low, that's why he says he, to test Jesus. Like the lawyer's like, I know everything there is to know about the Bible. Let's see what you know. Right? So he says, well, what do I need to do in, to inherit eternal life? So Jesus goes, well, how do you read the law? So the lawyer takes and and he summates the law, right? The Ten Commandments, have you ever read the Ten Commandments? Okay, the vast majority of the Ten Commandments is about how we treat other human beings, do you realize that? The first, there's about three or four of them that really are centered about how we treat God, putting God first in our lives, not worshiping other things other than him, making him the center, giving all of our strength and desire to God. But the rest of the Ten Commandments is how we treat one another not murdering and not stealing and not, and not coveting, right? It's a really interesting thing because if you look at the Ten Commandments, if you get the first part right, it's pretty easy to get the second part right. You get the first part right and you go, "I, my heart belongs to the Lord. So who is the God that we serve? Well, he's a God of love and he's a God of truth and he's a God of justice. He's a God of mercy. So if we really truly know who God is, then when it comes to how we treat human beings who, by the way, are the most precious thing God has ever created. I can actually theologically prove that. Human beings are the most valuable thing on the planet. So if you love God, you truly love God, then you'll treat the thing that he loves, humanity, the way God treats humanity. Now I gotta be the first person, if you've ever ridden with me on a trip, you know that I struggle loving humanity. I do, I admit it, I openly admit it. This is one of the things, again, I always share this when I'm up here, which is like, I don't know, twice a year. David's the same way, we always encourage one another, like, how are you doing when you're driving? And he's getting better and I'm getting better and we're encouraging each other. Because I gotta tell you, I forget sometimes those cars are driven by people, okay? And I say some terrible things and I get really angry and it makes my wife really stressed out. And she even said that the other day, I hate driving with you, You, you just make me so stressed out. And I said, hey, I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling at the idiots on the road. <laughs> and she said, "She said the, your stress is my stress, right? So it makes me think, right? Again, if we, if we major on that first part of the commandments, we love God with all of our heart and mind and body and strength. Loving our neighbor as ourself is pretty easy. I think sometimes we miss the boat because we forget who God is. And we forget how vital and important humanity is. How important each of you are. Each of you here is the most precious thing on the planet. You are. I think it's an amazing thing. Can you imagine if we actually treated each other that way? Mind blowing. Okay, so that lets you know about the guy asking the question. He's a guy that should know better, right? He's pretty slick. He's like, yeah. Love God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Jesus like, right on. Right on, because Jesus later, there's other parts in the Gospels where Jesus says the same thing, so they're on, they're on board together, right? So then the guy, the lawyer, wants to make himself look really good in front of everybody else, okay? It's, it's that justification. It's not, he's not caring about the right standing with God, per se, but the right standing with his peers, So because they're in a group. They're in a group of people being taught by Jesus. It's not like it's one-on-one. He wants to be justified with the people around him. He wants them to look at him and go, there's a guy that's going to heaven. We know he's going to heaven because we, I mean, he goes to the temple and he gives his offerings and he gives his tithes. He's always praying. We hear his prayers because in our culture, we don't pray out loud, but in their culture, they all pray out loud together. It's all with those. If you've never been, it's exciting. Um, But so that you can pray for each other. We've heard his prayers. We know he loves God. You know, so then he's like, so all, they, all he really needs Jesus to do is say, hey man, your fellow Israelite, that's your neighbor, right? That's what, so really all he needs Jesus to say, so that he can be justified in the congregation. How many of us are like that, right? Where on the exterior, everything looks like it's clicking really good, and we just need enough people in the congregation to see the good stuff, so that we can kind of feel good. So we're not going to get into that, but Jesus' point is, if, that's the, if what you really need is, is kudos from other people, that is your reward. It's the stuff you do that models and imitates what God does, that glorifies God that nobody sees, that's the stuff that's important. And believe it or not, in my personality structure, I'm the guy that lots of times I'll go in and I'll start things and I'll do things that nobody will ever know that I did it, and I'm actually okay with that. I I really am. I don't need the affirmation, but there are some people that need affirmation. But what we all need is to feel valuable. And I admit there's times I don't feel valuable. So sometimes that temptation is there to make, to do something really big and let everybody know so that I can feel valuable about myself, rather than saying God sees me as valuable now, right? He looks at me and goes, you have so much value. It's the thing with the fathers in the field, what if one of the things fatherless boys struggle with is worth and value. They go, gosh, if my dad threw me away or my dad doesn't want anything to do with me, I must be a piece of garbage. I have no value. So they struggle with that. The neat thing about fathers in the field is you put a guy in there who constantly is saying to that boy, hey man, you know you're priceless, right? You know you got value, right? We're so blessed to have you. I went last week, um, I went with, with John and Malachi and my field buddy Addison and We did our end-of-the-year trip, and um, one of the things you do on the the end-of-the-year trip is we do a photo album every year, and it's a privilege to give that boy. This is our whole year together. I get excited about putting mine together, and so we put Addison in this chair. He hates being like the center of attention, and I put it in his lap, and we're kind of looking through it. I, I said, I know there's not very many people here, but I want you to know how proud of you I am you become a man, he turned 13 on our trip, and um, I said, you you, you have come so far in two years, and I am really proud of you, and he goes, yeah, I know you are. (laughs) You know why he can say that? Because he hears me say it to him, because I'm serious. I didn't grow up in a home where my dad told me he was proud of me very much. As a man, my dad tells me, but when I was growing up, I didn't hear it. It's important as people to hear those things. So now I've rabbit trailed, let's go back, Okay, so Jesus says, okay, you wanna know who your neighbor is? This is super easy, super easy. This is why the McGee and me one sticks in my head, because they did a really good job of it. Let me explain to you the three people involved, okay? So the first one is a priest. The priesthood is really interesting in Israel. God calls Israel out of the world as a country, right? Puts them in the center of trade of the world, and says to them, I have made all of your life so that the way you work, the way you live, the way you look, the way you dress, everything is different from the rest of the world. So that people will see the difference and will ask you and you can tell them that you serve Yahweh, the living God, the I am, the the ever existent one, right? And when they see you being blessed by me, they will say, look at how their God blesses them. And then they can have those conversations. And in the midst of that, of those 12 tribes, he separated the tribe of Levi. And Levi didn't get an inheritance in the land, okay? They got some cities and stuff. And he said, Levi, the the sons of Levi will be, will will, will work in the tabernacle and they will take care of the tables and all those things. And then when the temple was built, they had other ceremonial things they did inside the temple to make things cleaned and purified and, and do those things. So the, the Levites were kind of that stuff. And then he said, from the tribe of Levi, from Aaron, who was a Levite, I'm going to make the priests, okay? So then not all priest, not all Levites are priests, but all priests are Levites, okay? So he pulls them out and he says, now the Aaron, the priests, they will offer the sacrifices on your behalf to me. So every time you sin, every time you, you do anything that goes against the nature and character of God, lie cheat steal hate someone in your heart so things that everyone in this room is guilty of congratulations but i'm willing to bet i'm guilty of it more than you are which is sad okay so then the priest would offer the sacrifices to god so in order the priests were actually cleansed in the same way that all the utensils in the temple were cleansed they were actually set apart set apart and then once a year the high priest would go into the holy of holies and sprinkle the blood on the atonement seat of the Ark of the Covenant for the people for the whole year. It's a pretty lofty job, right? So in a country, in a people group, that are set apart for God to be his representation on earth to other people that they might see, know, and hear, and understand who God truly is, there's a group of people set apart in that to help kind of guide people through what worship looks like. And then in a out of that there's a smaller group whose job is to make sure that the people that their sins are being atoned for really to care for the people really shepherd the people okay so in jesus's story he starts out with the most separated from all the separated people the priest who should care most about people's sins and about their well-being their spiritual physical well-being sees a man and it, Understand, the man is a Jew. It's implied in the story. Okay? He comes across one of his own people lying in the road. He's been beaten and robbed, and he's nearly dead. What does he do? He walks around him. I mean, he like it says he goes to the other side. In the Greek, it's because it's, he's lying in the road, and so the word road is implied. So he actually goes on the other side of the road. So like, The guy's there, and he's like, literally, intentionally goes around him. Does he see the man's need? This is important. Does he see the man's need? Absolutely he sees the man's need. Does he know that God has set him apart to care for those in need? Yes. Is he doing his job? No. Now, we also know they're going from Jerusalem to Jericho, so chances are the priest had been serving for a year. They would serve for a year, and then other priests would come and replace them, and they get some time off. So he'd been serving for a year, so maybe the priest was tired, and he thought, gosh, I've been doing this for a whole year. So I just, I just can't be bothered today. So he walks around him. So then the next tier down, right? Now, again, here's this group of people, inside of this group of people, and his job is to care for this man. What does he do? He does the same thing. He just kind of clears out. Oh, Now, think about in the way this is working in the story. So here we are, Jesus is teaching, we're all sitting. You're the lawyer. How do you feel as the lawyer right now in this story? Right? Because you already know that these two people, he knows the law, he's a guy who knows the law. He knows the requirements for the Levite and for the priest. What do you think he's waiting for, like, wonder who's going to come by now. Maybe the prophet will come by. <laughs> Maybe the Messiah will come by. Who will come by? Third guy comes by, right? He's a Samaritan. Now, I want you to understand the Samaritans. I'm sure a lot of you have read the Bible, and this will be old hat for you. Okay, so when Israel, all 12 tribes were together, things were good. Over the course of, of time, the 12 tribes split. There was 10 in the north and two in the south, and both sets were disobedient. So God took the 10 Northern tribes, and he sent Assyria in and the Assyrians took the vast majority of them out as captives. And the Israelites that stayed in the land intermarried with the Assyrians. Which by the way, the, the Bible is very clear. Jews were only supposed to marry Jewish people. Even if they were a convert, that was okay. But only Jewish people because they were supposed to be saying to the world, when when we're talking about being set apart, we're truly being set apart for the Lord, for his purposes, and we're only going to intermarry with people of like religious mind, thought, belief, and ideals. It's the same thing that Christ says about not being unequally yoked. And a lot of times we'll bring that in and talk about marriage. Why should you not marry somebody of a different religious belief? Because then the stronger of the two will break, the weaker of the two's neck. My mom and dad are a great example. My mom's a believer and my dad is not. And it has been a terrible struggle for my mom for for getting ready to, they're coming up on 50 years in a couple years. That woman has stayed and lived through a lot. My dad has slowly conformed, which is kind of neat. So they weren't supposed to intermarry, but the Samaritans did. They intermarried and then long story, captivity out for the southern two tribes and then they come back and they're kind of like, we stuck together and we didn't intermarry and we're Israel and so then, Israel is down below, and then there's Samaria in the middle, and then up at the Sea of Galilee, there's more Jewish people. So if you read the story of Jesus and the, and the woman at the well, it's a great story. Um, it says that Jesus, that he had to go through Samaria, right? We didn't have to go through Samaria, but they would actually, the Jews would actually walk around Samaria. They'd take the longer roads to avoid the Samaritans. Why, you ask? Because they felt like they got sold out. So imagine having a relative, or like a brother or a sister, someone you're really close to, right? And you guys, you guys have the same religious convictions, and you grow up in the same home, and you believe in the same God, and then your brother or your sister goes and marries someone of a different religious orientation. Let's say Islam, because they're pretty extremely different, okay? And they go off and they become a Muslim, and they're a very devout Muslim and you'd, and you're like, "Why have you sold out the truth? Why have you done that?" Do you, do you see the tension? It, it's like you, you, if you believe something completely and utterly to be true, and then you will, had somebody you were really close to you sell it away like it was nothing, but then they claim that they still believe kind of the same thing you believe. It created this tension, this hatred. So the Samaritans, they actually hated the Samaritans more than they did the Goyim, the non-Jewish people. The Jewish people saw themselves as us and them, okay? But then when the Samaritans happened, it was kind of us and them and those dogs, the Samaritans. So in a way, the thing that's happening in this story, which is wild and should totally blow your mind, right? When the Samaritan comes by, in normal circumstances, the Jew, if he was not hurt and on the road, he was upright and doing good. They wouldn't speak to each other. They might even change, They might even exchange harsh words for one another. They didn't like each other. They were enemies. They believed that each other. They believed they had sold each other out. Their family that hates each other. So, but what does the Samaritan do in the story? This is the twist. The guy who's the enemy of the man lying on the ground, his enemy, that's some dude like from another country you just happened to show up, right? If you wanted to do that, Jesus could have had him be a Greek or a Roman, right? That would have been really poignant for the time. A centurion shows up, right? This is his enemy. His enemy shows up and what does he do? He has a broken heart for the man. And he binds his wounds up and at his own expense, at his own cost, takes him to an inn. He sacrifices time because surely that isn't what the man was doing. If he was on the road, maybe he was going to trade. He was going somewhere. He stopped his own trip to take care of a man who was his enemy. He took him to an inn. He took his own time to bathe him, to care for him care for his wounds, and then he spent money. So he probably gave him about a month's worth of wages to the innkeeper and said, whatever it costs, and if it goes over this, you know I'm good for it, Bob. Maybe he knows the innkeeper. I got you. I'll come back and pay it. He's willing to pay a debt for a man who in a normal circumstance was his enemy. By the way, I'm pretty sure that the lawyer felt shamed. I feel shamed hearing this story. Why, you ask? Oh, we'll get to that. I love stories that work all the way forward. And, and so, so he, he just says to him, so, so who's the good friend? Who's the neighbor? And the lawyer has to admit the truth, the man who showed mercy. He won't even say his name. You notice he doesn't say the Samaritan. The man who showed mercy. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Because what was the question about Do you remember the the original question the lawyer asked? Mm, Before the neighbor. What was it? How do I have eternal life? How do I get saved? It's a pretty important question, right? How do I get saved? Oh, it's easy. Go love your enemy to the point that it costs you whatever it costs you. So let's move the question all the way forward to us, right? Because let's think about it. As Christians, we are a chosen people, right? Out of all the peoples in the world, God is building a people for himself. So whereas with Israel, he chose Abraham and he built a nation, now Jesus is building the church for himself from among the nations. Kind of the same principle though, right? Here's a people group they are supposed to look different, act different, talk different, and be different so that people can walk by us on the street and look at us and say, something different about that guy. I wanna know what it is. What's different about you, Alex? Well, I just know Jesus, man. I pick on Alex because this is totally Alex's personality too. Do you understand? So, so it's weird, but it's almost like God is continuing to do with the church what he did with Israel. It's strange, it's almost like God has this great plan for everything. Weird. So here we are as the church, a chosen people of God, and in the midst of that chosen people, we have, we have people that are set apart in our church, deacons and elders that are to help serve the body and teach the body, and a pastor who's supposed to help watch over the flock and instruct what we do not because David is greater than the rest of us or that the deacons and the elders are greater than the rest of us but God has put them over us that they might direct and guide us so that we're on the right path that way if we get off that path they can lovingly come alongside us and go whoa slow the boat go this way we're a people group as a church who is supposed to show all the things that we know to be true about God so again, it goes back to us, the same thing that went back to Israel. Do we really truly love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength? Do we really know who God is? Do we really look at God and say, geez, God, I am so grateful God loves me. Believe it or not, I wake, I, I, there are so many things in my life where I have to repent and just say, Lord, I am just such an idiot. Could you please forgive me of this and help me move forward? And And having to go to to people in the body and say, would you just encourage me in this because I'm really struggling in this area? I don't like doing it, but I know it's for my betterment. Because I really want people to see me loving them the way Christ loves them. Because if I don't have that first component figured out, that second component isn't going to come. Because Jesus says later on, he says, well, you guys say that you, 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 know, you love those that love you, well, good for you. Even the sinners do that. I'm telling you, love those that hate you. Right, and this is the most poignant expression of it. Because I gotta I tell you, when, a lot of times when we think through this story, we decide who our neighbor is, right? Have you ever thought this one out like all the way f- for yourself? I have, like, okay, who's my neighbor? because I feel really convicted by this a lot. I want you to know, this isn't me like chiding you and pointing fingers at you. I am right now, but. It's because there's a deep conviction in my own heart that I think I'm failing. Do you ever feel that way? Like in your walk, you're like, I am just messing this thing up every single day. Maybe I can get some part of it figured out. So I've thought, okay, well who's my neighbor? Okay, well Tony next door is my neighbor and I know my neighbor and I see him a little bit, but just, I, don't, I just, I'm, just don't see him enough. And I know Jim behind me, and he's a Cubs guy, and I know about his life, and I know about Bob, and, and I know some of the neighbors across the street and all their craziness. But then I, I go, I just don't want to know them that well because then I have to be involved in the craziness of their lives, which, by the way, is incredibly selfish on my part. Can you imagine if Jesus thought that about me? Because i got to tell you, my life's a mess half the time. Jesus went, Rob's just not worth the effort. It's just not worth the effort. But he says that I am worth the effort. Right? So that means all my neighbors are worth the effort. But it's not just my neighbors. See, that would be really easy. It'd be like coming to church and saying, okay, well, I'm only going to care for the people in the body. Now, I, I think we should, above and beyond. This is what David spoke about last week, too. Right? How will people know you're a is by the way you love one another and that one another is believers. How you love each other as believers shows that the world that we belong to Christ. So if we're not loving those in the body of Christ, we're harming them, or maltreating them, or neglecting them, or being passive aggressive to them, whatever happens to be. If we're doing that, how will anybody know we belong to Jesus? So we need to do that, but we can't limit our neighbors to the people in the room. Because we do that a lot too. Well, I'll take care of the people in the church. That's what, they're my neighbors, I'll take care of them. Well good, you should, absolutely you should but your neighbor is also the guy at work who hates your guts and makes your life a living nightmare. When I was about, I guess Keelan was born, so I'd have been 22, I was working at UPS in Denver and I was working on, on what's called the slide, so I'm loading the, the brown trucks, okay? Loading the boxes for all that. And there was a guy named Dave and every day, Dave knew I was a Christian and he and Jake every day, these are two ex-military guys, every day swearing cussing and they're on me and 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 i was just loving them sharing the gospel with them just doing the best i could and every day before i go to work i would pray for strength and every day when i got done i would pray for forgiveness for harboring hatred in my heart for them it was a long four or five months one day dave and i are on the slide just the two of us and he's just on me and i've had enough and i broke and i turned to him and I unloaded every single thing I could ever think about on this guy. Because I knew, I knew everything, I knew all the pains and hurts and stuff in his life, because I actually listen when people are talking. And I cut him, I cut him down, and his, this guy was an army ranger for eight years, he had fought in the first Gulf War. He was weeping, and he's trying not to show it, and he goes off, and I gotta tell you, I felt like the worst person in the whole world. Because rather than loving my enemy, caring for him, binding up his wounds, I used his wounds to hurt him. And I failed. I'd love to tell you that's the only instance where that's ever happened. It's not. When I get backed in a corner, I become an animal and I'm not a nice person. And I know it. And and the Lord is working through that with me and on me. And I've got other people like Russ Manning in my life who, Russ, when I get like that, Russ is like, bro, I think you just need to come out it's gonna be okay right because that's what the body does for us so when dave came back i apologized to him
1: no no man you don't need to
0: apologize for i said no man what i said to you was wrong it was hurtful it was mean it was unchristlike and i need to know if you'll forgive me and he stopped and he looked at me and he was like and i said i'm, I'm really serious I, I, I want you to forgive me I'm, I'm so sorry i cannot apologize enough and he said you know no one in my life has ever asked me to forgive them Ever, and so he said, "I'll have to think about it." And but that we then had, I then had a voice into his life because I was willing to, to bind up his wounds and do what was right rather than what was easy. So the question is, in our day and age, if we're supposed to be like the Good Samaritan and loving our enemies and loving our neighbors and being a good neighbor. What does it look like to be a good neighbor? And why don't we do it? So I think there's a few reasons we don't do it. I think one is we're too busy. So I think that's the priest's problem, right? He just got done serving for a year in Jerusalem, he's going to Jericho, he's tired, he's just just wore out, he's been busy. So it's just easier to keep your eyes focused on what's ahead and someone else will stop and help the guy, right? Because we let the busyness of our life cloud out the things that we should be doing. It's why a lot of guys tell me, no, with fathers in the field, no, I can't be a mentor father, I'm too busy. But I had a mentor father this week tell me that's just a sad excuse for being unwilling to prioritize our lives in a way that honors God. Which, by the way, cut me, I was like, it's true. Do we prioritize our lives for our schedules or for God's? Right? What's another reason? Sometimes I think we only practiced our faith in this building. I think sometimes we're guilty of practicing Christianity on Sunday mornings, and that's it. As if you've come and God is now happy, and is like, eh, go forth, my people, be free. But your, your faith is not about this building. It's not about a specific day. Your faith needs to be about how you live every second of every day, and how we do it together. Because again, that's the beauty of the body of Christ. You're not in this alone. If you're a professing believer, you put your faith in Christ for salvation, then you have not only the Holy Spirit, but we're joined together in Christ. And it is our job and our privilege to encourage one another to be doing faith outside the walls of the church. Right? And, And the last one is I think that too often we look at people's needs, when we talk about people's needs, we look at their physical needs. Are you hungry? Are you homeless, are you out living out outdoors is what I call it? Are you living outdoors? <laughs> There's lots of people in Vancouver living outdoors. If you've never lived outdoors, it's a tough way to live. I've only been homeless for two days in my life and they were a very long two days. Now you think about people who are trapped in that. It's a very hard thing. But sometimes we aren't looking at the spiritual needs, the mental needs and the emotional needs that people have. Because that's who we are as human beings. We're not just a body and a spirit. We're not just a soul. Uh, To be a human being is to be a physical thing. We're a physical touchy-feely thing. We have a soul, which we do. It's a spiritual part of us. But then we're also mental and emotional and, and so much relational that all those three things need to be connected together and taken care of together. If one of them starts to fail, the other two will go with it. Sometimes we forget that the people around us are hurting in a different way that we don't see physically. So when it comes to who we are as Christians, it requires us to be involved in their lives. The story of the Good Samaritan is being involved in people's lives enough and being observant enough of the people around us to be able to see when they're hurting. And loving them enough, even if we don't know them or if they don't like us or we don't like them, loving them enough like Christ loved us to be willing to come alongside and bind those wounds. To come alongside and say, how can I love on you? How can I share Jesus with you? And that's really so much the crux of, of what this is talking about, this lesson. If you're sitting here today and you have faith in Christ, if you've said, hey, I'm a sinner and I've fallen short of the glory of God and it's only through It's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that I can be saved. And you put your faith in Christ for salvation. And you say, that's the only way I can be saved. You've professed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. and You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, is what Paul says, right? If you've done that and you've you've received the Holy Spirit, then it requires us to be good neighbors. Not just to the people that physically live near us, but to everyone who is not us to be a good neighbor, to be willing to bind people up, to be willing to to go to the people in the body of Christ and say, I'm struggling, would you help me? And we're gonna fail you too at times, and if we fail you, then you have to come back to us and say, you failed me. How will I know I failed you if you don't tell me I failed you? Believe me, I will fail you. If I have not failed you yet, we haven't hung out enough. (laughs) It's not because I want to fail you, it's because I'm a human being. And I'm flawed, deeply flawed still in a lot of ways. The difference is, with my sins forgiven in Christ, not because of something I've done, because of what Christ has done and with the Holy Spirit, and with the body of Christ, which is is all of you, together we can go and bind up the people that we come across. We can be good neighbors. So the challenge that I want to issue to you today is, who has God brought into your life that you can be a good neighbor to? And go be a good neighbor to them. I don't think it's much of a stretch for anyone in this room to to have one or two names pop right into your mind. And probably are people you don't like. That you would really not like to go after and help. And I would encourage you to go after and help them. That's the story of the Good Samaritan, right? To the lawyer, to the guy that knows the law, who's asking about salvation. How do I have eternal life? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And if you do that, then you'll love your enemy. Right? It's a pretty amazing thing. It's a pretty amazing thing. All right, so let me close this in a word of prayer. And then, so if the band wants to come back up now, too, while want to pray? God, we just thank you for this opportunity to come here this morning, just to share your word, to, to worship you together. We just pray that you would work in each of our hearts to be good neighbors. Continue to reveal those people to us that we need to help, Lord, and give us the strength and wherewithal to do it. That we would see people as you do, as those made in your image that are priceless on the earth. That we would bring you glory in all that we say and do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.